Um, so it's just, you know, we really, guys, we've got to put things in perspective. The holiday seasons are coming, and, man, it's some of the worst times of the year. You go to get a parking spot, somebody pulls right in front of you, and they just people are rude this time of year. And what we really have to see is what, as people of faith, what we should be thinking of, what we should be praying for, what we, how should we should be sensitive to God opening the door for us to help others who really are down and out this time of year. So let's, let's, folks, let's all put that in per, into perspective. Uh, the teens can be dismissed. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. The ushers will come forward and bring you a Bible. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8. So we finished the sixth seal uh, last Sunday and we went into the 144,000. And today we're going to finish the seventh seal, which starts the series of trumpet judgments. Now, these trumpet judgments mirror those judgments on Pharaoh and Egypt. Um, It's very interesting if you look at the plagues of Egypt and look at some of these trumpet judgments and even the next few Sundays, some of the things that are represented here. But uh, Exodus 7 through 11, you see some of those plagues, uh, plagues of Egypt. But the trumpet judgments are different in that they're broader. They're really a, a macrocosmic um, uh, picture of, of really the whole world is affected as opposed to one nation, the nation of Egypt. The judgments are designed, any judgment is designed, number one, to warn. Look at, think of the Old Testament prophets. They warned the people. When necessary, the people were punished. Um, also, they were to bring, bring those to repentance and faith. So there was a multifarious, um, many-fold idea of what these judgments were designed to do. Now, Pharaoh didn't repent, if you remember from Exodus, but it appears that many of the Egyptians did. If you remember the children of Israel, when they were going to leave, the Egyptians would stop them and give them some of their precious metals. They would give them some items, probably some pots and pans, and load up their caravans so that the children of Israel would have a a less difficult time trekking through the wilderness. And we also see in Revelation that many in the tribulation period have also repented. We're going to see that repentance. Okay, so verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, uh, meaning Jesus, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightning and an earthquake. Zephaniah 1.7, Pastor Anthony's in uh, Zephaniah on Wednesday nights in the Old Testament it says, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So we see the silence in heaven for half an hour. Those who were listening to the CD are going to think, What's what? they forgot to record the rest of it. That was only five seconds. Multiply that by 360 and you have silence, dead silence, for half an hour. The proverbial, this was the calm before the storm. Now, there's a speculation on what happened in that silence. Some viable explanations that I've read, number one, so that the prayers of the suffering saints on earth could be heard. 
Number two, awaiting the repentance of mankind after the six seals were broken. And number three, as the seventh seal was completely uh, broken, it unfolded the scroll. Remember the scroll on the right hand of the Father, right? That the heavenly host was at awe at the mysteries of God written on that scroll. Very good possibilities. Again, they're all conjecture. Now I'll throw what I think at least was part of it and take it for what it's worth. It's my opinion. But God grieved over what he had to do in the next 15 judgments. I know my God's heart. I know he's got a tender heart. He has to do what he has to do, but I believe his heart was breaking over the sin and the hard-heartedness of man and the judgment and justice that it necessitated. There's a dangerous emergent church doctrine that's out there that basically, you know, it's the, the, the Generation X church people. You know, that's the way I look at it. The Brian McLaren and the Tony Jones. And they have this, this great new idea that, that sin is really not that big of a deal. They gloss over sin in the emergent church. They, they minimize sin. They make excuses for sin. But that is so dangerous, as we're going to see that the, the reason for a lot of this book and a lot of these judgments is because of the sin, rebelliousness, and the hard-hearted, hard-heartedness of man. And all were silent in heaven for about a half an hour waiting for God's next move. What an example. Do we take time, Christians, to be silent and still before God in our hurried lives? If you say your prayers aren't being answered, are you listening to him? People come frustrated. Pastor Joe, I've, I've prayed. I was, there was something I needed really bad, and you know what? I gave God a whole five minutes to answer my prayer. Five minutes? Look at the Old Testament. These people waited sometimes 40 years for their commission. They waited their whole lives for prayers to be answered. And that's why Jesus talks to us about the, the widow, right? The widow and the judge is a picture of persistent prayer. And also there's a stillness that we need to have that when we pray, we actually have a stillness and listen for God's voice. In verses 3 through 5, we see the censer again that we saw in Revelation 5, uh, chapter 5, which preceded the seal judgments. And here it is again. Now, fire is added to the census, or the censor, excuse me, and it's thrown or hurled to the earth. So let me do this in order. Number one, the prayers and the incense ascend to God. And we've covered this. Prayers of justice, prayers of deliverance, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, please, your will that's beautiful and perfect in heaven, can you please bring some of that down here? Okay? It's, it's reaching him, the prayers. Number two, as a result, the censer is filled with fire representing judgment and then hurled to the earth. And three, there were noises, earthquake and lightning, God powerfully manifesting himself to the earth dwellers. Now, when I heard that, the, uh, the noises, the earthquake and the lightning, I'm thinking, I know where that is verbatim in scripture. And I went back to the Old Testament in Exodus 19 and 20, real cool portion of scripture, when God descended towards Mount Sinai, the same type of manifestations were there. I believe God is saying, in other words, I'm trying to get your attention. Are you listening? A lot of listening needs to be going on here. Unfortunately, it's often in times of trial that we listen to God. I recently counseled a brother who was incapacitated for a while, and I said, now's the time. You can't go anywhere. (laughs) Now's the time to listen to God's voice. It could be a broken leg. That's got us laid up. It could be a, a, a time spent in prison. It could be anything that's kind of just holding us back and keeping us in a place where we have no choice but to be still and quiet 
and to listen to God's voice. Even as Christians, we can stubbornly ignore God with his still small voice so that God now has to go from the small voice to the megaphone. It happens. Pages are sticking. Okay, six. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, there's parallel scriptures in Exodus, Exodus chapter 9. I'll just read it kind of quickly. Uh, verse 18 through 26, you can see some of this happening here. Exodus 9, 18 through 26. Behold, tomorrow at this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man, on every beast which is in the field, and it is brought home, and they shall die if it's not brought home. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. So you see this, this judgment happening. Um, now understand, let me just digress for a minute or qualify what we're reading here. Trumpets in the Bible had several purposes. So we talked about the seals, now we're on the trumpets. Let's talk about what the Bible says about trumpets. Well, in the Old Testament, uh, the trumpets were to assemble God's people together. They also called to arms or a call to battle. They also announced important events. And the Feast of Trumpets, trumpets which is known as Rosh Hashanah, is the new year. And certainly at this point in time is a new year or a new era in God's timetable. So we see all aspects of all these four different aspects of the trumpets happening in these judgments, as we'll see. So the first trumpet judgment. This was a transition we have from the seal judgments to the trumpet. And the first one is a destruction of vegetation. A third of the trees and the grass are destroyed. And really this comes on the heels of the last chapter where God is having the angels hold back the destructive winds uh, that were going to harm everything on the earth. So now they're released because 144,000 are sealed and the trumpet judgments go forth. You ever see, how many of you have seen, and this happens so frequently, the California wildfires. You, see, you look on the news and, and it's just from a helicopter view, everything's burning. But they're so devastating, but that is such an infinitesimal fraction of what's coming. It's just a, such a small snippet of the, the, the magnitude of what's going to happen. A third of the trees and the grass. You've got to wrap your mind about a third, uh, wrap your mind around a third of anything on this planet. The dis disastrous effects will have, um, uh, will have a, um, a fallout on the food supply. Think about it. 
oxygen production, air quality, and much more. Certainly the environmentalists are not going to be happy during this time period. Now some say that this is a result of volcanic activity. I would disagree because I think it's just too sparse, it's too local. When I look at the, the judgments in Revelation, I look at a huge magnitude. And there are some that try to maybe talk about this through natural means, and I'll, I'll go through that. Okay, verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. In Exodus 7, 19 through 21, you see parallels here. What happens is the Egyptians see that the Nile and all the waters are, are, are polluted. There, there's blood in the water. So what they do is they start digging around, okay, and uh, digging holes for themselves uh, so that they can hopefully get some fresh water from in the ground. But uh, in this particular judgment, uh, in Exodus, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little confused here. In Exodus 9, 18 through 26, um, okay, this doesn't happen that often. I'm having a senior moment here. Let's go back to 8 and 9, all right? What happens here, yes, I'm right. They dig the holes and they look for fresh water to come up because most of the waterways are filled with blood. So the second trumpet is oceanic destruction. Now, the Apostle John says this, I saw something like, so he sees this, this big fireball. He's, it's something like a mountain. He's, he's watching it come down. And all he can do is do the best he can to describe it. So we can play with what is, what is he seeing? Because he's saying something like, now there's specific times where he's, he'll say, I saw this, and it's, there's no way around it. Okay? But here he's saying, I'm not really sure what it is. Probably a meteor so massive and hot that when it impacts upon the waterways, it kills so much aquatic life that blood is a result, and everything just starts to turn to blood. It strikes with such force that it disrupts the tidal wave cycles and causes tsunamis great enough to overturn ships. The Bible talks about not only was the uh, ocean life destroyed, but a lot of these ships were, were destroyed also. Now, because the oceans cover a majority of the Earth's surface, the indirect effects of this destruction of the oceans will be catastrophic. Verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And on the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Okay, so this trumpet is the destruction of the fresh water supplies. Now, this judgment appears to be a shooting star that's crashing into the earth, and this time fresh water is now uh, pretty messed up. The word wormwood, I looked in the Greek, is ha-absinthos, which today we understand or we know that there's a Eurasian perennial flower plant that is called the Artemisia absinthium. If you have one of those, um, don't drink the oil that comes out of it, <laughs> because it is, they used to make a, a bitter, like a, a bitters. They would they would squeeze this green oil out of it, and they would take a little little bit of it, and they would make bitters. But people died from it, so I believe it was in Europe. They eventually outlawed the making of these bitters. So the understanding is this stuff is poison. Don't drink the water, right, Stephen? Don't drink the water. Okay, basically, this star is comprised of a poisonous substance and makes the water unpotable. Now, how exactly does this happen? Some would say, well, the, um, this thing must be comprised of cyanide, or we try to figure it out, some type of radioactive material. Um, and there's sometimes that it's just not good to try to explain this through natural means. 
You, you could say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, so how did the molecules of water become wine? You know, he just, it was just a miracle. He just did it. Or how did he resurrect from the dead? I suspect that the mitochondria of the cells were now excited and they continued to give life and regenerate the cells. And No, it was a miracle. Rise. You know, Lazarus, come forth from the tomb. He comes out with his grave cloth. They take the grave cloth out. And after four days, he's alive again. Can't explain it. See, God can't be constrained to the natural laws of the universe that he created. At times, he will interfere with them and do miracles, sometimes for blessings and sometimes for curses or judgments. And we can play around with the possibilities, but a lot of these things we just can't explain. And I know that one day we'll be looking from a, 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 you know, a, an overview and, and looking down and seeing what's going on and say, oh boy, that really makes sense now. Again, we can play with the conjectures and all these things, but some of these things are just miracles. They're just God is interfering with the natural laws of gravity and physics and whatever it may be, chemistry, and he just, boom. It's time for judgment, and these cataclysmic events are going to happen. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet, these three angels who are about to sound. In Exodus 10, 21 through 23, we see that there was a thick darkness. If we read the book of Exodus and we see the, the plague of darkness, they said it was so dark that you couldn't see pretty much your hand in front of your face and the Egyptians would just stay in their homes and they wouldn't rise or go out because they couldn't see anything. It was this, that thick and oppressive. I actually, um, for a short period of time, we lived in Pennsylvania and uh, I grew up in, in Staten Island and Brooklyn area and uh, you know it was a city, there was light pollution everywhere. And I go to Pennsylvania and boy, if you were out on the street at night and there were no street lights, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. And it was, it was almost like oppressive. That's how thick the darkness was. So what we see here is that these celestial um, bodies are being affected and the light is really cut down uh, drastically. Now, light, heat will both be affected. Now, what will this affect? Photosynthesis. There'll be an issue with the food supply. Food's going to be very scarce at this time between the judgments and the indirect effects, so it's going to be pretty awful. The temperature of the planet will change and certainly crime will go up. A lot of crimes that people wouldn't do during the day, they'll do at night because it covers their, their sin. Okay? So crime will go up and the earth will become dark and cold. And there's a parallel truth here with spiritual darkness. I'm going to turn your attention to John 3.19. John 3.19. Three verses. John, or, uh, Jesus says, and this is the condemnation, that the light, Jesus, the light, the word of God, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You look at criminal activity, you look at gossip, you look at things that people do, they have all these secrets and, and that they keep presently. Listen, before we come to Christ, we've all done pretty awful things. 
when we come to Christ, you know, Jesus uh, died for our sins and uh, we're, we're free from those sins and they're not to hold us down anymore. But as believers, we shouldn't be practicing darkness. We shouldn't be doing what the world is doing. A lot of that, that, that gossip and that, that doing things that we shouldn't be doing, leading a double life and having these secrets in the closet is that spiritual darkness. And here, these people are in darkness, but they're also in spiritual darkness. And it's interesting because... Some who don't know the scripture, or maybe if you're not really that familiar with it, may say, God's being mean. How could he do this to those people? How could he put them in darkness? The way I look at it is, he's really giving the people what they want. The Bible, there's a, there's a precept in the Bible that says, if you, you sin, you know, the Holy Spirit says, you know, don't do that. You've got the seal of the Holy Spirit. And it's that, that conscience, that, that voice saying to you, you're a child of God, you shouldn't be doing this. But we can... We can override that. The Bible says to don't quench the spirit. Don't squelch the spirit. And what we can do is we can put it down, put it down, put it down, and just do what we want. And there's a precept in the scripture that says if we want sin bad enough, the God, will, God will give us over to it. You really want it? Here, have at it. It's all yours. So I look at this as not God being mean. Uh, I just look at God saying this is what you've always wanted anyway. You've, Psalm 1 and 2, you're trying to break the cords between you and God. You're trying to break that... Those apron strings, so to speak. God can't tell me what to do. God's fine. Here, it's all yours. So I look at a lot of these, um, and we're going to see next Sunday. You've got to all be here for next Sunday because the, the, uh, the judgments next Sunday are so bizarre, so wild. The demons are, are being released from the bottomless pit. But the, the interesting about these thing about these demons is those who are worshiping false gods, they don't worship the true God. Those demon gods they worship, the demons are turning on their worshipers. It's just such an irony there, and we'll see that. Okay, so all these judgments also have elements of directly and indirectly Exodus 11, which was the judgment of the death of the firstborn. All these judgments in some way, again, either by directly or indirect effects, are killing people. So uh, Exodus uh, judgments 7 through 11 are, are all in here. Verse 13 he says, and I looked and heard an angel. Now, some manuscripts have a flying eagle, uh, possibly referencing, if you will, go back to the four living creatures. There was the, one of the creatures looked like a flying eagle, okay? But either way, what we surmised or postulated was that these creatures were angelic type of beings. They were a higher order, right? So whether it's a, a flying eagle, some manuscripts, or an angel here, it's still God's messenger in the strict sense of uh, the, the word. Flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, and in the Greek, it's uai, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, uai means alas, or it's an expression of pity or concern. You see, the angel's not flying through the heavens saying, you stupid people, you rotten sinners, God's going to get you, wait till the next fireball. The angel is flying through the heavens looking at the inhabitants of earth going, alas, he's expressing pity for them because you think that this one's bad, the next ones are going to be even worse. Why don't you people just repent? And again, what did we say at the beginning? That judgments, one of the main uh, purposes for judgment is, to re, is for repentance and to come to faith. But these people are so stubborn that it doesn't matter what happens to them, a lot of them, they're still going to be hardened in their hearts like Pharaoh was. Another uh, similarity there. So if you're visiting for the first time, this material can seem a little heavy, <laughs> a little thick, right, a little viscous. And many churches will stay away from it because of that reason, because it scares people away. But this is the truth. 
And we at Calvary Chapel believe to go through the whole Bible. If you stay with us long enough, you'll, you'll know the whole Bible. We'll go through it. But I would use one word to describe this book, and the word is sobering. Another word is needed. It's very important. It's, it's good for us to see what sin eventually and actually does for us. There's um, a, a kind of joke, that I'll, it's a, a Christian joke, I suppose, that I'll go through, and it's, it's, it's funny. It's, um, there's a politician, right? He's a career politician. You heard this one. <laughs> I didn't even get to the punchline. <laughs> there's a career politician, right? He's been a politician all his life, and at the end, it's not all very biblical, so, but just follow me and get the main point. And he goes to the angel and you know, dies, and the angel says, well, you could either go to heaven or hell, but it's your choice. So the guy goes, all right. So the angel says, come on, upstairs going up, ding, the door opens, and it's heaven. It's beautiful, it's serene, it's relaxing, there's clouds, there's harps, there's angels. He's like, wow, I could get used to this, this is pretty neat. So he goes, well, before you make your decision, I have to show you hell first. So the angel puts him back in the elevator, going down, ding, the door opens up, the angel lets him out, and the, the politician meets Satan. And he looks around, and it's beautiful sands of the beach, and the water's really clear, and the sun is shining. It's like an 88, 87-degree day, and there's a nice wind. And he sees all his friends, and they're all playing golf, and they're all in great shape. Some of them are working out, and there's beautiful women all over the beach. And he's like, wow, this, this isn't what I envisioned. This, this is not so bad. And Satan says, yeah, it's not so bad, is it? And he goes, yeah. So he goes back into the elevator, and the uh, angel says, well, what do you want to do? So the politician says, listen, I don't really want to offend God, but tell him thanks, but no thanks. I kind of like hell. So he goes, just make sure you, you, know, you make that decision final, because once you're there, you can't come back. He goes, no, I, this is what I want. So he goes back down, ding, the door opens, the angel closes the door, takes off, and he's, he walks out, and it's, it's, it's dark, and it, it smells like sewerage, and there's skeletons that are littered on the beach, and uh, his friends are all sickly and, and barely walking around, and, and he goes to Satan, and he goes, what the heck's going on here? This isn't what I saw the last time. He goes, yeah, but back then we were campaigning for you. <laughs> well, okay, so back to reality. <laughs> Now that the elections are over, it is good to see, uh, and, and again, it's not, you know, pounding the pulpit, fire and brimstone, we're all going to go to hell, oh, you better receive Jesus. Um, it, it's more of, this is what sin gets us. Uh, it's, you know, God loves us so much that he wants us to see the effects of sin, the effects of rebellion, the effects of separation from God. And, and as we go through this book, it's a hard read if this is the first time you're going through the scripture, but it's quite sobering and quite necessary. So we need to wake up to the reality of sin, not like the emergent church doctrine wants to teach us, because God doesn't, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As angry as he was about sin back then, he's no less angry. He didn't get over it after a few thousand years. So it's something that we need to look at. Uh, we need to see that sin does lead to judgment, something to, to ponder. And let's pray. Father in heaven.